Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. We are back once again here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, as well as iHeartRadio for those of you who have the app or you're just listening on the website. We're on there as well. And welcome. So it's May, you know, May flowers after April showers, even though it's been weird weather in the New York City area. I mean, there was we had like a, a weird tornado type of warning and a lot of people were still caught off guard by it. Um, hopefully everyone's OK that got hit by it. But it's the weather. It's New York City. You're, you're expecting craziness as it is. But a tornado, you know, that's a that's a little left field, a little out there. And uh, speaking of left field, nice segue. Today's episode. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, everyone that knows me. And you guys have heard this on the show for over 80 episodes. I'm a diehard Yankees fan. Never going to change that. I don't live in the Bronx. Obviously, I'm Brooklyn. But I will make that trip to the Bronx for a New York Yankees game. That's me. With that being said, I have a lot of friends that are fans of the other team in Queens known as the New York Mets. And I don't particularly hate the Mets. But I always have this little rivalry back and forth with, you know, these Mets fans about what type of town this is. You know, they, they like to say it's a Mets town whenever the Mets win two in a row or just anything that's over-exaggerated. I'm a Yankees fan, so I'm always going to be loyal to the, you know, to the team, to the pinstripes, etc. Today's episode, however, I am going to focus on the New York Metropolitans. All right? I'm focusing on the Mets because... There's been a lot going on with this organization just this season already. And we're only in May. And there's so much buzz around this team. For good reasons and bad reasons. And I'm just going to break it down a little bit. You talk about the uh, the bad reasons. Number one, the whole Matt Harvey situation. It escalated to the point that not only was he put into the bullpen... Because he was struggling so badly as a starter for the last couple of years. They said, we're going to throw you in the bullpen, see if you can work it out. Matt Harvey being Matt Harvey, you know, defiant, did not want to go into the bullpen. So even though he was forced either way, he made a big stink about it. Fast forward, he's out partying in Los Angeles when he's supposed to be, you know, resting. And he's seen visibly drunk all over tabloids. Just Everything started adding up. You throw that in there with him having bad outings out of the bullpen, leading the Mets to just make the decision to say, you know what, we're going to designate you for assignment because he refused to go to the minors to, to work on his mechanics. Now, there's different things that can be said here. Yes, Matt Harvey is struggling. Yes, Matt Harvey is a former Cy Young contender, you know, won all these these great accolades his first year, especially with the Mets, and he pitched so valiantly in the World Series. He still has to remember he's a part of a team. And I just felt like throughout a whole exchange back and forth, whether or not he should be a starter, he should be a reliever, is he happy with the, with what's going on? You know, is he living the nightlife too much? I just felt like the guy forgot, like, you know, hey, this is a, you're on a 25-man roster, 40-man, you know, you got, it's not just you here. You're a big piece of what we do, but no one 
in this type of business, you know, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, no player is, you know, untouchable. With that being said, LeBron James is pretty darn close. But no player is truly untouchable. And with that being said, Matt Harvey found out how untouchable he really wasn't because he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds for a uh, for a catcher. And yes, he's going to get a chance to start because the Cincinnati Reds are a terrible team right now. They're in a the full rebuild mode. So you look at it and you say, man, Matt Harvey, like, is this really what you wanted? He's going to say all the right things now, but, you know, it's 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 just it's insane to me to see how we went from as a Mets fans, you know, you Mets fans out there, you went from talking about Harvey Day and and just this great rotation of young pitchers and who's going to get paid the most. Will it be Harvey? Will it be Syndergaard? Will it be DeGrom, Wheeler? It's all you guys talked about. And now the ace. Let's be honest. He was the ace of the staff. He's been dealt. And really not for a lot. Yes, they got a catcher out of it. But this was a guy that would have demanded like top-level prospects and and everything considering the way he came into the league. But his Mets career ends this way. And it's really a shock to me because I, I personally liked Harvey. I thought he would have been a uh, a great cornerstone pitcher for so many years and just a great face of the franchise when he first came out. But, uh, you know, the guy has a lot to figure out in his career moving forward. In Cincinnati, it seems to be the spot he's at. He had a pretty good outing, his first outing against the uh, – his first start, I should say, against the L.A. Dodgers on the road. He uh, showed some people that he still has – he still has it a little bit. Maybe it's a change of venue. Maybe it's a change of team. We don't know. We're going to see what's going to happen with that. But uh, Sandy Alderson – and I'm going to play a lot of the sound from the two press conferences he had regarding Harvey. One of them dealt with uh, the actual partying and – and you know, hearing the the thing, hearing the the different tabloids talk about it, him addressing that, and uh, the other press conference sound is from the actual trade going down, and uh, he you just can hear in his voice that he's just tired of it. You know, like after a while, it just doesn't matter how talented you are or the potential that you have or how young you are, the attitude, the arrogance, all that stuff, and then the results are not there. It all took a toll and. And this is where the Mets decided to go. They decided to part ways with their former ace, Matt Harvey. It's a very interesting story with that. But uh, also moving on, you know, when you talk about Mets news, this one is actually, I guess I guess you could consider this good news. Key Fernandez, everyone knows who Key Fernandez is at this point, especially in New York. Legendary player for the Mets, played for the Cardinals. He is best known for 1986 helping lead that team to a uh, World Series championship. The, the 86 Mets are probably one of the more beloved teams in not just New York sports, but all of sports history. So uh, Keith Fernandez, for everything that he brought to that organization, the flair, I mean, uh, you talk about, you know, uh, just being the cornerstone of, of just what, what you talk about when you say that team, that 86 Mets, it isn't just Doc Good, it isn't just Daryl Strawberry. You talk about Hernandez and uh, his uh, just the way he played the game. 
um, pretty much became beloved here in New York City. And with that being said, he's actually coming out with a book, which is out now. And he, he talks about, you know, his life. He talks about just his experiences in the game of baseball. And even, you know, as a broadcaster now for uh, Sportsnet New York and, you know, when they have the games on PIX11, he's actually started doing a, a lot of national coverage. He, he recently took over for Pete Rose for uh, MLB on Fox. And, you know, th the guy has a great personality, a lot of fun. And the biggest part of that personality, which is what brings me to uh, this conversation today, is that he is on social media become a darling just overnight. Uh, the guy wasn't on social media, I believe, last year. He just got on Twitter, and he's made his Twitter account a must-follow. He's entertaining, just talks about, you know, obviously baseball. He talks about his day. But the uh, the big star of his own Twitter account is Haji, his pet cat. Yes, he has a cat named Haji, and... He addresses him every single time. He, you know, whatever he's about to do, he talks about Haji. He's like, I gotta make sure Haji eats. I gotta make sure Haji does this, and it's it's endearing to a lot of fans. Even people that may not be baseball fans know who Keith Fernandez is even more because they follow him on social media. And the guy's entertaining. He's he continues to keep it going. I mean, you know, I like to to say that uh, he's found a way to relate to different audiences, kind of similar to the way Will Smith is on social media and how he's become, you know, reborn in a sense, because a lot of people felt like Will Smith was, they couldn't relate to the younger generation anymore. He's gotten older, but now he's on Instagram being hilarious and giving out words of wisdom. You got a guy like Keith Fernandez, who, you know, was big in the 80s, is, is just showing that he's still got, he's still got that flair. I mean, who could forget the infamous uh, magical loogie from the Seinfeld uh, Seinfeld episode back in the 90s? So uh, Hernandez, you know, just, it, I think that's good news for Mets fans out there, especially the book being, you know, coming out. I, I got a chance to uh, talk to him for a second. Uh, just, you know, the guy just seems really nice, really genuine. Uh, he was, you know, I, I just asked him, you know, said I was congratulating him on the book. And he actually was just really just nice. And you could tell he enjoys just being around New Yorkers. He loves New York. He loves the fans that are Mets fans. Um, you know, I, I told him, like, you know, my dad's a fan of his. And he was like, oh, this is great. You know, thank you. That whole thing. And I, like I said, I, Keith Fernandez, you know, I got a number of respect for the guy. And it's cool to see him, you know, an older guy uh, taking some, you know, taking these platforms to a different level and just having fun with it and uh, showing that, you know, even as an older guy and uh, being such a baseball legend that he is he has this very down to earth mentality. I mean, you talk about the guys playing with a cat on Twitter and he gives you probably some of the best um, messages via his Twitter, whether it's about the Mets or about his own life. I'm going to play some of uh, in my opinion, some of his best stuff um, a little later in the show. And he just, like I say, he delivers, man. I, I got nothing but respect for Keith Fernandez and everything he's doing. And uh, just to stay with the whole Mets topic, I am going to discuss even more detail in the Matt Harvey situation. Keith Fernandez, you know, what's going on with David Wright? I got Eric Garment on the show today. He is from Numbers MLB. 
And what they do a lot of times is just they get every jersey number. They do every stat. It's a very detailed uh, organization. And he is uh, one of the, the, the researchers on there. And he's going to give us his thoughts on the Mets. He's actually a huge Mets fan as well. And, you know, he's going to go into great detail as to just what the team is playing to do moving forward with uh, Mickey Calloway as their manager, Jose Reyes, etc. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Also, NBA lottery. I know a lot of Knicks fans out there were hoping for a miracle, which did not. It didn't happen. Let's be honest. OK, there was no miracle for the Knicks this year. They are going to be the uh, number nine selection for the draft. I have uh, Steve Seminary, who's a local sports reporter, as well as Pete DeLauro making his return to the show. He's a Knicks super fan, and uh, we we chopped it up a little bit following the draft um, lottery, you know, just the whole breakdown of it. And uh, they just gave their thoughts on the Knicks and what they what they should do with the pick, as well as just the plan moving forward, because so many question marks. I mean, you know, you got David Fisdale. It's a great start. But you still got to figure out figure out a lot of things with this Knicks team, especially with this draft pick. It's it's going to be a huge change for everyone moving forward. But with that being said, we're going to step aside for a short break and come back to all of that and more. You're listening to Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, powered by iHeartRadio iHeartRadio now combines your favorite radio stations plus your on-demand music collection all in one app. iHeartRadio All Access now allows you to take your music collection offline to listen anywhere without a connection or using data. From the My Music Pivot, tap on a playlist you want to take offline. Toggle to offline. Indicators will fill in seconds, showing when your tracks and playlists are available offline. Radio plus unlimited music all in one app. Hey, Dad. Yeah. You remember that ball game we went to a couple years ago? Sure. And how you didn't have enough cash for two hot dogs, so you walked with me on your shoulders until we found an ATM? And then when we got back to our seats, we never saw the hot dog guy again. Well, I don't remember all that. Yeah, that was an awesome game. You never know which moments will be the ones they'll remember forever. So take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven four dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. There was a report that Harvey, Matt Harvey traveled up to Los Angeles um, after the team landed in uh, San Diego the other night. was out late up there. and is, is I saw it. Is, is, Get to the point. Is is is, is, is there something uh, is that something you have an issue with? Is that from the team standpoint? Is that a problem? Well, I th- I think it can be a problem uh, if it affects um, you know a player or or a pitcher's uh, preparation uh, for work the following day or the following several days. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure that was the case here. Um, you know, he pitched that Friday night. I know he gave up a home run. Otherwise, uh, looked pretty good. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing that uh, I've tried to keep in mind is that um, pitching out of the bullpen is different than pitching out of the rotation. And part of the preparation for that role is recognizing that you could pitch any day at any time. And as a result, you have to 
be a little more conscientious about <clears throat> what else is going on in your life in order to be prepared on a moment's notice to pitch. I think that's part of the realization that, that maybe he's um, had over the last few days. So, you know, to answer your question as succinctly as I can, yeah, it could be a problem. Uh, I don't think it was in this case. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing is, you know, Matt has to understand that people always notice what he does. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking today, it's like a borderline pitch. In his case, it's all, it always gets called a strike. You know, as a, as a hitter, take that pitch, don't take that pitch. It seems like he always, it, it's always called a strike. And uh, so <clears throat> he probably learned something from it. Bruce in the front. Sandy, are you upset by that report? Uh, usually I get, a, I get upset if uh, a report is unexpected. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I guess the short answer is no. Sandy, when you, the three of you, made that decision and, and approached Matt, were you expecting that he would agree to that assignment, or was this a, a very real possibility in your mind? I don't think we had an expectation that he would agree to the assignment. I think that he had uh, <clears throat> previously, in the abstract, uh, indicated that he would not accept. Um, you know, Mickey, I think, went to great lengths to explain why we felt the bullpen route wasn't going to work and why we thought that he would really benefit from time uh, at our minor league complex some period of time not open-ended but some period of time uh, um, you know we didn't ask Matt to agree or not on the spot we wanted to give him time to think about it to talk to his agent and um, uh, he has taken that time and has decided against the assignment. So <clears throat> I don't think we expected he would he would accept the assignment, but we thought that um, you know with the proper understanding of why we were asking that he might consider it. You know, at this point, um, pragmatism. Realism uh, far outweighed uh, other considerations. In your view of that, is it still perhaps, if not the, but certainly among the handful of most emotional decisions you've had to make in all your years? Um, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I try not to let emotion uh, interfere with decision making, but empathy is part of uh, making decisions and uh, um, you know I like Matt in spite of all the stuff that's gone on uh, and certainly uh, because of a lot of the stuff that's gone on um, you know I, I really like Matt he's a human being and as I said before he's a vulnerable human being and, and kind of leaves himself open for those of us who uh, know him and he you know semi-trust uh, at least 
Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, we're going to miss him in, in many ways. You see, do you think Matt can still come close to being what can change of scenery? What do you think it's going to take, I guess? I think that's possible. I think we felt that. Um, you know, our only real option <clears throat> to create a change of scenery was to get him somewhere in our minor league system. Um, <clears throat> and I, th I think there are a lot of um, issues that come with him and his experience in New York that perhaps a change of scenery will help. Um, but uh, I certainly hope so. And, and, you know, we felt that it was worth trying uh, ourselves. Just from the standpoint of DFA, you've been, what, seven days to work on a trade, I guess. How complicated is that situation right now? Well, <clears throat> we work out a trade or, or he becomes a free agent. So at the end of that seven-day period, um, we'll have some resolution one way or the other. Um, I can't really speculate on how complicated it will be uh, to make a trade. Um, <clears throat> my guess is there are people out there who are willing to take a shot on Matt Harvey. We'll see. Tim, up the middle. Why did the bullpen no longer why was that considered no longer a viable option to fix him i'm gonna let uh mickey address that for the most part but i think um encapsulated um <clears throat> we didn't see the same uptick um in matt that dave and Mickey saw in other pitchers who had gone through a similar transition uh, as, as a intermediate step to getting back in the rotation. Um, so Mickey can elaborate on that if, if he'd like. Okay, I have Eric Garment with me right now. He is from Numbers MLB. He is a researcher and probably one of the biggest Mets fans I know. So it makes sense. I go straight to you for what's going on with the New York Mets so far this year. I know you have a bunch of opinions. Always. So let me start off with the hot one, all right? Sure. Matt Harvey traded. What are your thoughts? Well, with Matt Harvey being traded to the Cincinnati Reds, it's you know, a, a situation that was no longer tenable uh, in the New York organization. He was regularly clashing with the uh, previous regime under Terry Collins. Things hadn't been going well under... Uh, Mickey Calloway and Dave Island. He wanted to be a starting pitcher. That's how he views himself. That's how Scott Boris views him. Uh, and that's fair. It's fair for a pitcher to see himself one way. They tried him in the bullpen. And whether it was just a lack of interest from Harvey in actually trying to be a successful reliever or he just wasn't uh, pitching well for the Mets at that time, you know, the, there was just no nowhere to go. And they offered to send him to Vegas to work on things there wouldn't take it and so he was you know dfa Mets found a willing partner in cincinnati and a trade that really worked out well for everybody uh reds now get a reclamation project in matt harvey who had a nice uh, outing his first time out with cincinnati for 
innings and one hit. Uh, Mets get a major league caliber catcher because they've been running out uh, Jose Lobaton and Tomas Nito with Darno and Ploiecki both injured. Uh, Mazzaracco just hit a second home run for the team tonight in the win over Toronto. And, you know, when Ploiecki comes back, a combination of Mazzaracco and Ploiecki should be enough. You know, it'll be a lower tier catching duo in the major leagues, I would imagine. But, uh, you know, Mazzaracco is in a contract year. He could be playing for his last real contract. And he, you know, definitely represented an upgrade uh, for the Mets. So it was a trade that, you know, a week in really has shown uh, positive developments for both parties. What do you think the legacy of uh, Matt Harvey, you know, after this? Because, I mean, you talk about so much promise. The guy uh, was basically the ace of the staff for a couple of years. Do you feel like the guy is going to be, you know, every time he comes back, it's going to be booed when he comes back to City Field? Is it going to be hard feelings? What are we looking at here? I think it's really tough because there's definitely, you know, you've got two different Matt Harveys. You've got uh, the Matt Harvey of 2013 and, well, it's kind of like three eras of Matt Harvey. You've got rookie and early on Matt Harvey, you know, lit it up in 2013, started the All-Star game at home. Had to miss all of 2014 due to the uh, the Tommy John surgery. Came back 2015, absolutely pushed himself to and beyond the limit in that World Series run. Uh, it was at Game 5 when he demanded the ball for the ninth inning. The you know, place was going nuts. Obviously didn't pan out because the Mets ended up losing Game 5, losing the World Series. But he, you know, really, it's kind of inarguable, I think, that Matt Harvey put his body and his career uh, on the line to pitch the way he did for the Mets down the stretch in 2015 because obviously 2016 he struggles uh, has the thoracic outlet uh, surgery and comes back late 2017 he's scuffling he's you know or he, he pitches on and off 2017 he comes back he has to go on the DL for you know two and a half months comes back still not great gets shut down and then the bad uh, 2018 leading to his trade to Cincinnati. The legacy of Matt Harvey is going to be kind of, I think, a what if. Mm. What if he didn't have Tommy John? What if he didn't have Thoracic Outlet? What if the Mets had shut him down in 2015? Would they have even gotten to the World Series without him? And it's just a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, some segments of the fan base will say, oh, Matt Harvey, you know, was a, a selfish, pompous jerk. Others will say, you know, when he was there, when he was at his best, he was, you know, a top five pitcher in baseball and there's no way to know what Matt Harvey ever truly could have been as a New York Met in full like a full healthy pitcher from 2013 through 17 like it could have been one of the great five-year periods in you know pitching history for for a single pitcher he could have fluctuated he could have gotten even worse than he did by the end of his Mets tenure and it's just going to be to me at least you know, what what could Matt Harvey have been? Okay, and um, that being said, his manager, um, Callaway's is only this is his first year, so obviously it's going to be some uh, some you know bumps and bruises. First time out. What do you think so far of the job he's done with this staff and just keeping everybody together? Well, obviously with Mickey Callaway, first twelve games, team was eleven and one. Everybody was riding high. Fan base was loving Callaway, uh, and since then they are now, I think. Trying to remember where they're at right now. They have a losing record, 
since then. I don't remember the exact number offhand. Something like, uh, I think, 7 and seven and 12 since then, or 8 and 12 since then right, after tonight's right. game. Uh, there have been some confusing decisions. There are some decisions that, you know, obviously no one's going to be, you know, you know, worldly happy with everything that a manager decides. Uh, you know, there's the question of how do you get a guy like Brandon Nimmo into the lineup more? Is it by playing Jay Bruce at first base and displacing Adrian Gonzalez, who's had a passable year uh, coming off of a missed year uh, in his last year with the Dodgers? What do you do with a guy like Jose Reyes, who's a kind of, you know... Uh, He's kind of done. Of, done. I think Jose... I personally am... I've, I personally had zero interest in the Jose Reyes comeback tour at all. Mm-hmm. So every every day to me that Jose Reyes is on the roster is a day <laughs> uh, wasted on him instead of having somebody who could potentially be even a, you know, palatable everyday backup like a Philip Evans, a Gavin Shakini, or when he comes back from uh, rehabbing uh, his Tommy John surgery from last year, TJ Rivera. Um, so, you know, you see, you know, in a game like tonight, you know, Jose Reyes is playing third base. Meanwhile, you know, prospect Luis Guillorme was called up. He's sitting there. He has experience at third base. And it's a question of when do you stop giving deference to the veteran and when do you try to start moving forward? Now, obviously, that, you know, Reyes being on the roster is not a call Callaway makes. Uh, that's, you know, made by Alderson, you know, the Wilpons, whoever. Uh, so you can only play with the guys that are on your roster. Um, there have been some confusing decisions, but that's kind of what you're going to get with a first-year manager. You're going to get a lot of, you know, feeling out how to treat certain in-game situations. And I think he's doing, you know, for a first-year manager who's got, you know, uh, especially on a team with injury problems as well, you know, uh, Vargas has been, he was hurt, and then now he's terrible. Now they're skipping his starts. Cespedes is banged up. Uh, who else is, who's hurt? You know, Frazier on the DL, stuff like that. And it's, you know, all of that combined with the New York market. It's a lot, it's a lot to handle in your first, you know, month and change as a major league manager. And then since, you know, obviously you talk about the Mets, you've got to ask the question. It's probably asked every year. David Wright, what are we talking about here? You think, do you believe he's done? I mean, this, the guy hasn't played in, it feels like, forever at this point. It would be magnificent and marvelous if David Wright were able to get back to major league quality, uh, you know, health. To this point, there's not something to suggest that that's going to happen when he made his original original return uh, to the lineup in uh, 2015, 2015 yeah. August, Philadelphia. First game back, he cranks a home run to the second deck in left field. It was one of the you know most feel good moments in that entire season, and yeah, you know, that's that's talking about a World Series campaign. Um, he wants to do it, and you know, bless him for trying. I don't know what's there and to and beyond that even if he were to be fully healthy where is he going to play i mean the mets have todd frazier playing third base you could talk maybe first base in a platoon with adrian gonzalez but you have enough players who can play first base you have gonzalez you have flores you have bruce in a pinch 
and you've got guys like Dominic Smith or maybe even Peter Alonso who can come up and play for a space. Um, so I just, as, as you know, romantic as it would be to have David Wright back on the field for the New York Mets, both for his health, I don't know if it's going to happen, and I just don't know where he fits on a 25-man roster right now. As unfortunate as that is, you know, he's going to be, he's in his mid-30s. Where does he fit on the 2018 New York Mets? That's fair. And my last question, uh, to me, to a lot of people listening, is probably the biggest one now on social media. Keith Hernandez, he's become the uh, social media star all of a sudden. What are your thoughts on him uh, on Twitter and in his whole Cat Haji and having a book coming out? Big fan. Big fan of Keith and Haji. Um, you know, obviously the Haji stuff appeals to just like, you know, the the base level of the internet. It's just like, you know, oh, look, there's a great cat. Here's a video of the cat. The cat's going outside. The cat's on his shoulder. That's great. Uh, but what I really love about Keith Hernandez on Twitter, uh, beyond just you know the the self promotion and all of the Haji stuff, um, you really get to see his mind for the game. Because after you know day after most games, he will post a multiple tweet, you know maybe eight, nine, ten or more tweet thread, uh, doing analysis on the previous night's game and the team as a whole, talking about you know. I saw when you, the way he breaks down his Drupal Cabrera from the right side versus the left side of the plate, you know, Cess, you know the hip and quad of Yoenis Cespedes, uh, the way Noah Syndergaard pitches, the way Jaris Familia pitches, that sort of stuff. And it's, you know, he's, he's a very fun uh, analyst on TV because he's a little irreverent. He likes to have fun in the booth and there's, you know, always that great rapport with Darling and Cohen. Uh, but on Twitter, it's really just a kind of boiled-down version of Keith Hernandez just giving you directly uh, how he sees the team and how he is taking in uh, the way the team is going, not as a television analyst, but just as a, as a baseball mind and a, a, an ongoing student of the game. That sounds about right. Uh, Eric? As expected, thank you. Gave us more than just the numbers there. You gave us a little bit about Haji. You gave us a little everything we needed there about the Mets. So uh, until next time, thanks. Thank you for having me. Off day today, basically a wasted day. Got up around 10.30 today. Greeted at the door by the Hodger. He's very happy that I'm home, aren't you, Hodge? And... Uh, Look in the camera, mate. Yeah. And uh, off to work tomorrow. Back at him. All right, time to shower. Just a little Don't Call Me Brother from the Ship Ahoy album of the OJs. This is one of the best. Yeah. Daryl Strawberry loved this one. We laughed on the airplane many a time playing this song together on our way to another city and another team to beat. See you at the ballpark. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. I'm getting my hair cut. This is Xavier. Hey, everybody. Salon Xavier. Xavier. It's in Sag Harbor. I strongly recommend it. Mm, thank you so much. But he cuts my hair to, in Francais, they say parfait. So, so, this is my first round of day, and I'm going to go to the gym and then go to the ballpark. So, I will leave you there. Have a good day.
now I've had my hair cut. I'm at the gym and I'll have to do this. All the way down as I feel better. Do my little half hour to 45 minutes of cardio. And some weights. And then home, back to Capilettis for my lunch to go and then a little nap, get dressed and go to the park. That's my that's my routine on night games. So forget my heavy breathing. But gotta do it. Well, I got my book, some books from Little Brown. That's my autobiography. I'm Keith Hernandez. Coming to a theater near you. Finally got around maybe 15 books from the publisher. Coming out May 15th. And by the way, that's a little Stevie Ray Bond in the, in the background for your listening pleasure. Big Stevie, one of my favorites. See you at the park. Hi, Hodge. Yeah, Haji sees the suitcases. He's not happy. Don't worry. Old Rich will be here with you. While I'm gone all week. Keep you company and feed you. Alright, my buddy? Alright, say goodbye to your fans. No Haji tweets. Say bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Alright, my little guy. You'd be good. I'm Paul George. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Well, and now the time has come. Here is NBA Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum to reveal all of the lottery picks of the 2018 NBA Draft. Mark. Thank you, Mark, and good luck, everyone. Pick number 14 will be made by the Denver Nuggets. Denver is just the seventh team in NBA history to miss the playoffs despite winning 46 games. The 13th pick belongs to the L.A. Clippers. Despite trading away Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, the Clippers won 42 games for their seventh straight winning season. Picking 12th will be the L.A. Clippers. This pick goes to the Clippers since the Pistons pick was not in the top three. The 11th pick in the draft will go to the Charlotte Hornets. Mitch Kupchak takes over as Charlotte's general manager and president of basketball operations. He won four titles with the Lakers as their lead executive. And pick number 10 will be made by 
the Philadelphia 76ers. This was originally the Lakers pick, folks, but due to multiple trades, it will go to Philadelphia. Boston, who could have received this pick if it had landed between two and five, or actually two and three, will now likely receive the Kings 2019 first round pick. Mark? Thanks again, Mark. The ninth pick in the draft goes to the New York Knicks. New York's last two lottery picks, Kristaps Porzingis and Frank Nilakina, both had played professionally in Europe prior to their selection. The eighth pick will be made by the Cleveland Cavaliers. This selection was originally Brooklyn's, but was acquired by the Cavaliers when they traded Kyrie Irving to the Celtics last summer. Things holding to form. The seventh pick belongs to the Chicago Bulls. That means that the Sacramento Kings, folks, have jumped into the top three. Darren Fox said his smile is his good luck charm. Pick number six goes to the Orlando Magic. Next season, the Magic will be celebrating their 30th NBA season. The fifth pick will be made by the Dallas Mavericks. That means that the Atlanta Hawks have moved into the top three, folks. And the fourth pick in the 2018 NBA Draft goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies have fallen out of the top three. And then there were three. The Phoenix Suns, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Sacramento Kings. We're down to three, and right now let's go over to Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum. Mark? Thanks again, Mark. The third pick in this year's draft goes to the Atlanta Hawks. The second pick will be made by the Sacramento Kings. And that means that the number one pick in the 2018 NBA draft goes to the Phoenix Suns. So barring a trade, this will be the Suns' first number one overall pick in franchise history. Uh, Woj, a, a big night for that rebuilding franchise that won only 21 games last year. Well, what's your reaction? Hey, uh, hell for him. You know, obviously the odds were going to be against us moving up. We were hopeful that that would happen. But like I said, going into this thing, wherever we ended up, confident we're going to find a good player. You know, we just hired a new coach as well, so I'm still very excited with the direction we're headed. And now you have your work cut out for you trying to find that right guy, right? Absolutely. Definitely. You know, we're going to, uh, this is what, you know, our front office staff is, has been charged to do all season long, go out here and, and beat the bushes for the very best players around the globe. So uh, we'll be doing a lot of homework, uh, a lot of interviewing of prospects over the next month and a half and trying to find the guy who we feel is the best fit for our culture and our team moving forward. Everybody believes you're going to go after a wing, but is it a situation where, you know, I know you've said it before, you need talent. You're going to look at everything at this point? Yeah, I, I, you know, look, there's, there's no secret that we can use help on the wing, but at the end of the day, uh, I think we're still in that talent acquisition mode. So if that happens to be at number nine, a wing player, great. If we feel the most talented guy clearly is in another position, then we got to look that direction as well. You've been a part of a lot of drafts. Is this a deep draft? 
it's shaping up that way. You know, I think the, the, the final part that I don't know about the draft yet is really going to start occurring this week in terms of getting a chance to interview a lot of these guys. I mean, because for me, that's as important as evaluating the talent. I mean, I've been, we've been watching these guys play, so have a little better handle on their physical skill. But it's going to be really important to really find out who these people, who these guys are as people. You know, what kind of character they, they, they really embody, and see how they, you know, project how they would fit with us. When you're up there, is there a sense of disappointment though when you don't move up? You know, obviously the competitor, you, you you love to see it. You know, I, from where I was sitting, I I got a view of it, so I, I kind of saw it before he said it so I could prepare myself a little bit but uh, but yeah of course you want to you know win any, any contest if, if you will or lottery that you're in but uh, coming into it you know my expectations were very measured you know knowing what the odds were that I, I'm just happy we didn't move back so you know we, st we stayed you know uh, consistent with the odds I think the first uh, I think uh, 14 through 8 stayed the same and there wasn't any movement until 7. A lot of talk about the bridges because they play the wing position. What's your initial impression about the bridges, the two bridges? We're going to dive into both of those guys, you know, as we move forward. I don't want to get into too much detail about either one. Obviously, uh, both uh, are very good basketball players to put themselves in position to be, uh, be in consideration by a number of teams uh, up in the lottery. So, again, I can't wait to meet both both of those young guys to really get a feel for who they are and how they may or may not fit. Are you going to interview everybody? Well, no. Well, you know, the, the, at the combine, you know, we're limited uh, to the number we get. We I think we get twenty visits here at the combine, twenty a maximum of twenty interviews. And then when we start bringing guys into New York to work out, uh, you know, you obviously get a chance to spend more time and interview them more. You know, with some of them, you know, this may be just the first round of interviews because I'm sure a number of the guys that we meet with here will also bring to New York for, you know, a, a longer visit, longer, uh, you know, trying to get a, a better feel for who these guys are when you have them for 48 hours versus a 30-minute interview that we're going to have at the combine. I may start the workouts next Monday. No, I, we we haven't started our workouts Monday. We'll, we'll release. We'll let you guys know when we get. Um, um, that settled. We're going to be obviously now that the lottery is settled. You know, there'll be a lot of uh, logistical things to figure out, work with agents, and, and when they're able to get guys in. So, uh, but uh, I think the bulk of the workouts though will uh, occur probably in the month of June. At this point, I mean, in your mind, I mean, how much do you kind of zero in on certain guys at this point? Kind of narrow down certain prospects that you want to talk to, or do you go into this with completely open well, I mean, I, I think you, you, you have an idea of, uh, a, lo a loose idea of where guys may or may not fall in the draft. So obviously you want to try to talk to as many guys as you project in your range. But also, you know, historically, I've, I've liked to try to broaden that range because, again, going into the draft, you never know what can occur. There may be trade opportunities to move up or down, whatever the case may be. So I think it's important for us uh, as an organization to know as much about all these guys as we can uh, regardless of where they're projected. How important is this process overall? I mean, you obviously you say you're a rebuilding team. You want to do it the right way, but I know you want to win. Yes. So how important is it to make sure you're, you're doing everything right and making sure it... Well, I, I, think, I think it's very important. I think that hopefully you guys are starting to recognize that in everything we do, we want to be very prudent. We want to... Uh, get as much information as we can so that we can make very solid, sound decisions moving forward that we feel will improve our team 
incrementally moving forward, and this process is no different. Is it any different, though, from past stops for you, or is it the same? No, I, I think, the, um, obviously, I'm getting a chance here to, you know, maybe add a little, you know, uh, tweak a little bit here and there from what was done in the past. But I've been fortunate to work with a number of great organizations that I thought we did, you know, a good job of preparing for the draft. But, uh, again, I'm just looking forward and excited about this process and really, you know, finding who's going to be the next New York Knicks to be a contributor for our team. All right, so we obviously had a great uh, lottery. I don't know if you want to call it great if you're a Knicks fan. But uh, for everyone else that was watching, it was some big changes, different things that happened. Well, I have two. I'm calling them experts, okay? I don't know if they want to call themselves that or not. Sick. <laughs> Sick in the head. I have uh, Pete DeLauro, who's been on the show before, big Knicks fan. And I have Steve Seminary making his debut yeah, on the show. I mean, I've been, I've been for a long time, I've been trying to get him on the show. So it's official now. Steve is on the show. And we're going to break down this lottery that just happened. Number one pick for everyone who's been living under a rock, the Phoenix Suns. Now, the New York Knicks. There was a little little hope there, you know. You guys were all watching it, and I, uh, I'll come in at this point. This is where uh, me being a big fan now, I've learned over the years to give up on the hopes and the <laughs> dreams going forward right. because it just leads to disappointment. I knew they were going to get the ninth pick. I'm surprised they didn't get the tenth or eleventh pick, to be honest. <laughs> and let it be known that the Knicks, who could not tank properly this year, right won two more games than the Kings who got the second pick in the draft. So, Yeah, I'm not a big fan of doing like the what if, what, what have you. But the next the last few days you're hearing a lot about, oh, the Bulls, they went from 9-1 to one in the Derrick Rose draft. Mm-hmm. And the Cavs went from 9-1 to one in the Kyrie draft. And it's like, oh, maybe, you know. But no, you know, this, at least they had to move down like Pete said, which is right. and a like change I, actually. And like I said, I, I expected this. But it's when it happens, it still kind of feels like a little punch to the gut. Right. Well, it's right. like it's like once again the Knicks can't catch a break. Mm. But again, they don't put themselves in a position to be successful mm. and be in the right right draft position. Well, the last time they did move up in the draft lottery is when their pick was the Blazers and they got Lamarcus Aldridge. So that, that, that's yeah. very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that brings a little more pain to every Knicks fan out there. Yeah. Okay. So let's we're number nine here. Okay. What are we doing at number nine? What, what do we like? Who's the, the player that sticks out in your mind? I'm going to start with you, Steve. Listen, they're talking about best available player, which I'm a fan of. In, in any sport, in any draft, that's fine with me. But if you do draft a guy, on, like say you bring in Bridges, you have him fit between KP, Frank, Burke, where you have a little core and a little diversity and talent. The Knicks have no wings, so they do no need wings. a wing player. I, I go with wings as well. That, that would have been my take. Porter. Or Bridges, Mikhail Bridges, not Michael Bridges. Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Either okay, the Villanova one. Yeah. yeah Villanova. Um, and if Sexton fell, I would consider it because I think he might be maybe the best pure guard in the draft. We'll see. There is a worry, though, with Sexton. You draft Sexton, I could see, you know, Perry moving Frank to complete no man's land, which is not that's, ideal either. That's which a fear. is another fear, obviously, as a Knicks fan. Because yeah. Frank, after the Moutier trade, didn't play an out to point guard, which is the position that he is, and he's 19 years old, and... Yeah, they're not the great at developing guys as you've seen. No. So if they bring Sexton in, where's that lead Frank? But it seems like Fizdale is focused on player development, or at least that's what Nick's PR is trying to tell us. So you know, we shall see if uh, that comes to fruition. Yeah, Nick's PR, they, you know, they don't, they pretty honest with everything, right? Yeah, usually. Right, right. They okay. All right, so Fizdale, okay, yeah. obviously had the big press conference last week. 
Are we optimistic? I know you guys, I've I'll, spoken I'll to you. Over under two and a half years for David Fisdale as a Nick I'm going over because I'm going to be optimistic about this because you can't continue, although they do continue, this treadmill of every two, three years having a new coach, having the big basketball in the middle of the, the, the arena press conference. I'm tired of it. I'll go over for one reason. I'm this, just tired This of it. season why. right now coming up, KP should not play a single game, and it should be all about the tank. Wow. Yes. So That's this year a, is kind of, there's no evaluation really in this first season really. It's a matter of mm-hmm. bringing in that, that top pick, that nine pick, and just letting the guys, the young guys, let Dotson play, let Frank play. Yeah, I'd like Bird to see play. a lot, exactly. And it'll be a lot of losing, but maybe a lot of development, which is something they haven't had. Losing before. with development, but for the whole year. And not mm-hmm. just this idea that we're going to make the AC like last year. Right. Once KP went down, there was still somehow they were so trying so, to win games. <laughs> so I, I wasn't sure why. Well, it's not even tanking. They're going to be bad. They, they, yes. they, they probably they will, will be bad. Yeah, they, they, and uh, one more thing. They shouldn't uh, stretch provision uh, show Kim Noah. We, we there's know no, that, there's no point. That they will, so. They're going to. Another thing is, too, Cantor is going to opt in. Yes. Kylo Quinn, I think he also opts in, even though it's a one year for $4 million. Four million. That's fine, but yeah. still it is more big guys on the roster mm-hmm. when they need a little more diverse more roster with wings. And well, he could opt in and they could trade him, right? Or if that's in Dece- after I, December I guess they 10th. could do that, yes. Okay. I just find it funny. You guys are talking about, like, scrap a whole season. This is New York City. You know, it's kind of hard to... We, we scrapped scrap the last 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't mean to, but we did. And there you have it, guys. Thank you very much. That's about as honest as you're going to get. God bless. <laughs>